So today we're actually going to take a break from the series we've been in called Stories Along the Way. And I want to just talk with you a bit today about Palm Sunday. And uh, I wanted to begin like this. So uh, it's been said that there are two topics we don't discuss in polite conversation, and they are religion and what? Politics. Now, I think most of us, when we come to church, we expect the guy up front to be talking about religion. That's why you come here. Uh, but I think uh, if the guy up front starts talking about politics, most of us start to get a little bit nervous. And maybe even if you're like me, uh, you almost start to feel a little bit of a, relig- uh, of a nervous tick, uh, almost like a trigger out of 2020. Like, and it starts making me feel a little bit anxious. And we don't, we don't like the pulpit to be used to push a political agenda. And so we get uncomfortable when the pastor begins to talk about politics. You know, a book came out a few years back entitled Unchristian. And the author provides research on why so many of the next generation are leaving church. And one of the main reasons that he gives is, quote, the church has become too political. And the author writes this, many outsiders believe Christians have a right or even an obligation to pursue political involvement, but they disagree with our methods and our attitudes. They say we seem to be pursuing an agenda that benefits only ourselves. They assert we expect too much out of politics. They question whether we are motivated by our economic status rather than our faith commitments when we support conservative policies. And they claim that we act and say things in an unchristian manner. They wonder whether Jesus would use political power as we do. One young person interviewed put it like this. He said, I believe that American Christians have become tools of the Republican election machine at the expense of their own image and message. Now, I don't know how that strikes you. Uh, maybe you think, well, that's not me. Or some of you say, well, that's just not fair. And maybe it isn't, but do, do anybody in the room feel a little bit suspicious or cynical when a politician starts to talk about their own personal faith? Uh, do, you ever, do you ever think, like, maybe they're just saying that to satisfy my fears and to get my vote? Am I alone in that cynicism? You know, there was a, a joke uh, that was told uh, about a, a Democrat and a Republican who were having lunch, and the Democrat mentioned to his Republican colleague, he said, you know, I am very religious. And the Republican knew the Democrat. He's like, no, you're not. And he says, I bet you don't even know the Lord's Prayer. And he says, I bet you I can. He says, I bet you $20. He says, you're on. And so they bowed their heads, and the Democrat said, now I lay me down to sleep. (laughs) And the Republican said, here's $20. I had no idea you knew the Lord's Prayer. (laughs) But we get cynical and suspicious when politicians talk about religion. And of course, we get really nervous when people from the pulpit start talking about politics. But listen, when you open up the New Testament, you cannot escape this issue. You cannot escape it because at the heart of actually this day that we're celebrating is a political claim. In fact, you could say that at the heart of the gospel itself is a shocking, a massive political claim. You see, when Jesus came on the scene and announcing what he was on the earth to come do, uh, he, he announced to us that he was not starting a new religious institution. He came, quote, to inaugurate God's kingdom on earth. And that's political. 
The prophet Isaiah, speaking of the coming messianic king, said that, quote, the government would rest upon his shoulders, and that's political. And on Palm Sunday, Jesus is hailed not as a great religious guru, but as a king, a monarch, and that's political. But what does that mean? What does that mean? And I want to just make clear that when we talk about politics, when we talk about the political, I'm not simply talking about 21st century American religious or political, you know, categories. I'm not talking about the Republicans or the Democrats. When I use the word politics, I'm talking first and foremost about the exercise of power. When we talk about politics, we're talking about who has power and how we get power, and how we keep power, and how we get more power, and how we can use power to get stuff done uh, through the institutions of government, or maybe in the home, or in the dorm, or on the campus. Uh, You know, we use this term politics to talk about the exercise of power. And so in that way, there's all kinds of different politics, right? There's uh, governmental politics, and there's church politics, and there's uh, household politics, there's politics in marriage and on the playground. But what I want to talk about today is the dramatic political claim that is made on Palm Sunday. And I want to reflect with you on this shocking, dramatic political claim. And my suggestion to you today is that as you reflect on this political claim, it may change your life and it may adjust your politics. So uh, we're going to enter into the story of Palm Sunday. And so let's begin by setting it in its context. So uh, the, the, the day Jesus walked into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, it was during the Passover festival. So Jesus, his disciples, and literally tens of thousands of pilgrims from all over the then known world would pour into Jerusalem to celebrate the feast of Passover. And what did Passover celebrate? Passover celebrated God's liberation of his enslaved people. It was when God challenged that tyrant Pharaoh, and he said, let my people go. And God brought his people out of Egypt with a strong hand. And so every year, the children of Israel would gather together, and they would celebrate this great moment of God's redemption of of their people's liberation. And, and during Passover, the city of Jerusalem would swell. It was kind of like, you know, uh, during uh, the Rose Parade uh, here in Pasadena, and, and the city just swells. You know, people from all over come in to watch this parade. And in Jerusalem, literally tens of thousands of people, it would grow some eight, ten times beyond the city's normal size. Uh, people would be uh, sleeping in tents around the city and in the surrounding villages. And the atmosphere was just electric. And it was electric because there was revolutionary zeal in the air. You remember the Beatles saying, you say you want a revolution? Well, the Jews in the first century wanted a revolution. Uh, The Romans were, they had their fingers in their business and they had their hands all over. They were, you know, oppressing them. And they wanted God to act again and challenge their new Pharaoh, Caesar in Rome, and 
exert a great victory, and, and they wanted liberation. And every year when they came together at Passover, it was their time to stir up that revolutionary zeal, that fervor. And so everyone was on edge, and Pilate, the Roman governor, had his soldiers ready, and all of the Roman army uh, had their guard up and their watch out. And it's right in this moment that it happens. Mark 11, verse 1, now when they drew near Jerusalem to Bethpage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said to them. So Jesus is up, this is actually a view into the city of Jerusalem from the Mount of Olives. And so Jesus reaches, he's been traveling from Galilee in the north, some hundred miles. He reaches the Mount of Olives and they're looking out over the city of Jerusalem. And at this point, he invites his disciples to go in and look at what he says to them. He says, go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Go and untie it and bring it to me. And if anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say to them, these are not the droids you are looking for. No, say, the Lord has need of it, and they will send it back here immediately. And they went away, and they found a colt tied at the door outside the city, and they untied it. And some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told them what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And so obviously, something has been prepared in advance for this moment. And so they get the colt, they bring it to Jesus, and they threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And look what happens in verse 8. Many spread their cloaks on the road, and others spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went before and those who were following were shouting, Hosanna. That word Hosanna, it means save now. Do you know what, that, know what they're asking for? Save us now from our Roman bondage. God, liberate us from our political enslavement. They said, save now. Blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father, David. Hosanna in the highest. Now, I used to think that Palm Sunday was something of uh, a mistake. You know, it, it was the result of the confusion or the misunderstanding of the crowds. You know, I, I remember years ago, uh, I don't know, what, 20 years ago. Uh, do you guys remember when Ron Paul was running for president? And he was in the Republican primary, but he didn't get the nomination, but he had this like fervent group of followers. And even after he, he, he you know, stepped out of the race, I remember just the week uh, going into uh, election Tuesday, I, I remember uh, driving my car around Orange County and just seeing this large crowd of people, you know, it was like businessmen and then uh, hippie-looking pot smokers and this, this eclectic group that Ron Paul kind of gathered around him. And they had these signs up and they were saying, vote for Ron Paul, vote for Ron Paul, honk for Ron Paul. You know, so I gave him a little honk because that's what you do, right? And, um, <laughs> and uh, so, you know, and, and then, it, then it occurred to me, I'm like, Ron Paul isn't even on the ticket. Like, I can't even vote for him. Like, and, uh, and, and I just thought, this is the case of overzealous followers doing something that their leader himself had not asked them to do. And I kind of always thought that Palm Sunday was that way. This is simply Jesus' overzealous followers 
doing something that Jesus himself was not asking them to do. You know, they were just getting a little bit too excited, preemptively hailing him as king. He's like, no, no, I've come in here to die. You know, don't do that. You know, please. You know, uh, or, or maybe he's, he's just flattered like, ah, oh, shucks, guys, you really shouldn't have, you know? <laughs> but I want you to see that Palm Sunday was not the result of a misunderstanding of the crowds. Palm Sunday was the result of the intentional and the deliberative and the provocative action of Jesus. I mean, think about it. Jesus asked to get on a colt. Uh, have you ever in the gospel seen Jesus riding an animal? If anybody knows of a place in the gospels where Jesus rides an animal, you can raise your hand and I'll give you $20. Any other place? And you can't because there's no other place in the gospel where Jesus rides an animal. Not, not anywhere except once, and it's here on Palm Sunday. And, and, and let's be clear, it, it's not that one of his disciples is looking at Jesus. He's like, oh, Jesus, you've been walking 100 miles. Poor Jesus is so exhausted. He's about ready to pass out. Somebody please go and get Jesus a, 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 a donkey, you know, or, or Jesus, you can have mine, you know. No, no, Jesus asked his disciples to go and get him the donkey. And where is he? He's on the Mount of Olives. He's, 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 he's a mere mile or two outside of the city. And uh, Jesus has been walking on foot this entire journey. And now here, right before he enters, he asks for a, a, a donkey to ride on. It's like, why? What is Jesus doing? Why is Jesus at this point asking for a donkey? And, and let's be clear, Jesus is being intentional and provocative. In fact, he is being intentionally provocative in this moment. You could even go so far as to say that in this moment, Jesus is engaging in political theater. He wants to make a point. He is doing something public to say something to us all on Palm Sunday. And what is he saying? Well, Jesus knew what riding into Jerusalem during Passover would mean to everyone. He knew the old stories. He knew that uh, when the son of Israel's most beloved king came into Jerusalem on his coronation day, Solomon, to take the throne as king, he entered on a cult. And Jesus knew that the ancient prophet Zechariah said, rejoice greatly, daughter O Zion. Your king comes to you lowly and riding on a donkey. And later in that same passage, it says that when the king comes, his rule will stretch from sea to sea. In other words, the king of Israel, when he came, would not just liberate Israel, he would become the ruler not just of Israel, but over all of the peoples of the earth. I mean, Israel, uh, ancient Israel had big, big vision for their king. They believed that this was God's world and they were God's people and this was gonna be God's king who would rule over all of creation. And Jesus on this moment, as he gets on the donkey, goes in the city, he is coming out publicly saying that I am the king you have been waiting for. I am the king over every king. I am the Lord over every Lord. And look, there was already a king uh, in uh, Judea. His name was Herod. 
Jesus is saying, I am the king over Herod. There was already a Lord in Rome. It was Caesar. Jesus is saying, I am Lord over Caesar. Jesus is king over every king, Lord over every Lord. And get this, the crowds know what Jesus is doing. They read the political theater. They get it. And so they pull out all of the right passages and they break out into all of the right songs and they wave their palm branches and they lay out the red carpet and they say, save now, Hosanna. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so, friends, as we stand back, what is the claim of Paul? What's the political claim of Palm Sunday? It's this, Jesus is king over every king. Jesus is Lord over every Lord. He is God's king come to rule in God's world. Now, I realize if you are new to Christianity, that can sound like a, uh, what uh, some business leaders refer to as a BHAG. A big, hairy, audacious, we'll say claim. But this is the claim of the New Testament. Jesus is king over every king. But, but on Palm Sunday, Jesus is not simply saying that I am the king over every king. Jesus is making a second claim on Palm Sunday. Jesus is claiming that he is a different kind of king. I mean, just think for a moment. This is Jesus' coming out. This is his dramatic political statement. And, uh, you know, you read this and you just think, like, if I was his political advisor... Like if I was on Jesus's campaign team and I were like, look, okay. Um, and Jesus is like, well, I have this idea, you know, I'm, I'm, I just wanna go in on a donkey. And you're like, that's just not epic enough. Like you're, you're, and Jesus is like, I'm not, I wanna ride in on a young donkey, not even a grown-up donkey. We're gonna, <laughs> just a, a little, you know, and you're like, no, Jesus, like, come on, you go in on a, like a donkey versus the Roman Imperial Guard. No, 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 we gotta, we got to do something different. Jesus, here, here's what I'm envisioning for you. Jesus, here, here's, here's, this is your big statement. We got to do a little bit better. And so let, let's, here's what I'm, let's get a stallion. Let's get a white stallion, maybe a black stallion. It doesn't matter. Just get a stallion. Uh, you know, we, we get a man horse, you know, the kind of horse you got to jump up to get onto. And then let's enter at sunset, you know, at the magic hour. And, uh, you know, the, the horse is coming in and, 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 and you got to get on the horse and then you just got to just stand outside and let just wait for a minute and let the horse just start, you know, going down in the dust and having the <laughs> dust rise up. And then Jesus, you can be wearing a scarf and it can be blowing in the wind and you can be there with the horse. And then Jesus, I want you just to start galloping down, you know, muscles ripped in the gleaming sun. You know, and as Jesus is coming around, you know, the children are running down the streets. He's here. He's here. It's that man, mama. He's coming, you know, and the women are there. They're like, oh, Jesus, you know, and, and, uh, and, and, and the men are like, oh, yeah, that's a man. That's a man's man, you know. Even the men know, you know, and, and you see him coming, you know, and, and, and that, that would have been, I mean, you come in like that's if we're going to make an entrance to be the king over every king. You know, you come in on the stallion and you come in with, with 
guns ablazing, you know, and, and you, maybe, maybe you didn't need to rally the troops beforehand. Maybe you, Jesus is bold and courageous, so he's going to just wait till he gets in the city to rally up the troops, and everyone's going to gather around him, and we're going to overthrow the Roman government, and we're going to go right into Pilate's office, and we're going to say, Pilate, make my day. I mean, we, 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 could, we could make this happen, you know? But a donkey? A little donkey? And then he goes in, and the text tells us that he looks around the city, and then he leaves. And that's not the worst, because he's going to go back in the city, and he's going to start doing stuff to make the religious leaders mad, and they're going to hand him over to the Roman authorities, and he's going to stand before Pilate, and Pilate's going to say, so are you a king or not? And Jesus is simply going to say, you said so. And then he's going to be silent. And then they're going to take him, and they're going to strip him, and they're going to beat him, and the soldiers are going to mock him and put a crown of thorns on him and say, Hail, King of the Jews. And then Pilate's going to hang him up on a cross. And over the top of the cross, he's going to say, This is the King of the Jews. What is going on here? I mean, think about it. The, the, the God's, the one who, who holds the highest seat in cosmic authority, the one who is the king over every king. What kind of power is this? What kind of politic is this? He goes in in humility, in lowliness, like a lamb before his shears is silent, so he opens not his mouth. He is crucified. And what is, what's going on here? Clearly, this is a different kind of power. This is a power that is exercised in humility, this is a power that comes through humiliation before exaltation. This is a power not that is marked by violence and hatred and destruction of my enemies. This is a much stronger and better kind of power about laying down one's life in love for the enemy. And this kind of self-sacrificing love, it turns out, as human history has unfolded over these last 2,000 years, has been far more powerful and life-changing than anything Caesar was able to muster. So Jesus, in this moment, declares, I am the true king, but I am a different kind of king. Now, let's just stand back and let's just ask, like, what, if this news, this truth breaks in, how might it affect and shape how we think about politics? And I want to suggest three things. Number one, I think these, this claim that Jesus is king, but a new kind of king, number one, it gives us a new political framework. You know, I think often it's common to think that there are two spheres. There's religion, and then there's politics. 
And religion is the sphere of the private and the personal. It's all about your interior, individual, spiritual life. And it's primarily the realm of personal preference. Uh, you know, you choose your religion like you choose ice cream. It's just, there's not a right or wrong. It's just whatever fits for you. And then over there is politics. And politics is public. It deals with real issues like uh, immigration policy and foreign policy and economic policy. You know, I think the classic expression of this mindset came uh, from John F. Kennedy years ago. Some of you right, might remember this. I wasn't alive yet. But when he was running... He was the first Catholic president, and there was some question whether or not uh, he would be beholden to the Pope and to papal edicts, or whether or not he would be able to do the will of the people and put America first. And in response, he gave this speech where he said this. He said, my Catholicism will have nothing to do with my policies as president. The real issues of the campaign are war and hunger and communism and not religious issues. And then he went on. I have come not to talk about the kind of church I believe in, for that would be only important to me, but the kind of America I believe in. And that would be one in which there is full religious freedom and a president's own religious views is his own private affair. And friends, that's one view, is that there's religion and Jesus, and that's kind of personal and private, and then there's politics, which is public. It deals with real issues. But there's another view not Jesus and politics. I think a second view is Jesus in the service of politics. This is common in our day. And this is where a political party uses Jesus to endorse their political party. The way LeBron James endorses Sprite. You know, we think, oh, LeBron James is drinking Sprite, even though LeBron James and, and his fitness and his athleticism has nothing to do with Sprite, yet you're like, oh, it's LeBron James and Sprite. I want a Sprite, you know? And it's like, oh, it's, it's Jesus and the Republicans or Jesus and the Democrats. And oh, yeah, well, I want, you know, that because that's... And we have a tendency when we look at our political categories through the or we look at Jesus through the lens of our political categories, we tend to see what we want to see. And so if we're red, we see a red Jesus. If we're a blue stater, we see a very blue Jesus. But it's difficult to stand back and see the real Jesus. And oftentimes what happens is we become more wedded to our political ideology than we are to Jesus and his kingdom. Chuck Colson, who uh, was a great Christian statesman and leader and worked in the Nixon administration, got in trouble, came to Christ in prison, but he, he wrote a book and, and uh, he's talked a lot about these issues, but he said this. He said, Christians should never have a political party. Now, don't misunderstand him. He believed in political engagement and voting and knowing the issues and understanding it, but he said, Christians should never have a political party it is a huge mistake to become married to an ideology because the greatest enemy of the gospel is ideology. Ideology is a man-made format of how the world ought to work, and Christians instead believe in the revealing truth of Scripture. And so it is Jesus that has the final say. And so it's not Jesus over here and politics over here, and it's not Jesus in the service of politics. It is Jesus over politics and politicians. Jesus over politics. Or just put it like this. 
Every world leader will one day answer to King Jesus. The President of the United States will stand before King Jesus and answer for how he or she uses their power on earth. And you and I will answer to King Jesus for how we use whatever realms of power we have on earth. Jesus is king over every king. He is Lord over every Lord. And this means Jesus is not just my personal Lord and Savior. You know, oftentimes we think like, oh, will you take Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior? Look, God has already made Jesus Lord in Christ. You know, after his resurrection from the dead, Jesus ascended and he sat down at the right hand of God. Do you know what that seat is? It is the seat of highest cosmic authority. And God has exalted his son, Jesus. And the question isn't whether or not you are gonna personally make Jesus anything. It's whether or not you or I are going to surrender our life to King Lord Jesus. Now, again, I, let me just make a clarifying statement. I'm not saying that there is no separation between church and state. There is, and it's a wise separation. Jesus is Lord over both church and state, and both the church and the state will have to answer to Jesus for what and how they exercise the power that's vested in them. I'm a leader in a church, and I have a certain set of vested authority and power, and I personally will answer to King Jesus, and I have a fear of God for that day. Now, I know, I know, (laughs) this sounds so extreme if you're new to Christianity, and I just want to say I get that. But let me just ask you, I mean, just bear with me for a second. Think of your own political views. Is there nothing higher for you than your own personal, private, political opinions? I mean, most of us would say that our political parties are accountable to something higher than themselves. And whether that is justice or righteousness or love or whatever, we say there's some ideal that our political parties are accountable to. And that's what I'm saying. I'm just saying, and the Christian tradition has said, the Christian church has said, the the gospel proclaims to us that God's justice and love are personal, incredibly personal. God has become flesh in Jesus among us. And God in Christ is ruling over creation in justice and love. And so we are accountable to him for how we use power on earth. So... Number one, we have a new political framework. But number two, Jesus on Palm Sunday invites us into a new political practice. Or let me just put it like this. Listen, all of us exercise a certain array of power. You know, if you are managing people, you've got power over people. If you're uh, an elder or a leader in church, you've got some authority over people. If, if, if you're a teacher in a classroom, you've got authority. If you're a parent with your kids, you have vested authority. Uh, you've got power over a spouse. If you're married, you've got power over your friends with your words. And some of you are really, really good with your words, aren't you? You exercise power. The question is, how do you wield and how do you exercise your power? Jesus invites us into a new way 
to wield power with humility, uh, to wield power in a way where we bear wrongs in ourselves, We seek to use our power to empower and lift up others. We use whatever authority we have in self-sacrificing, self-giving, loving ways to benefit, bless, and love, and serve other people. This is what Jesus models, and this is what Jesus invites us into. And I think in the political realm in American history, undoubtedly the best and, and I think most surprising example we've seen of this is Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. and the Civil Rights Movement. And it's just stunning to think about a movement for the rights of human beings that was led not with violence, not through revolutionary zeal, but out of Jesus's own ethic of nonviolence and sacrificial love. And Dr. King put it like this. He said, to retaliate with hate and bitterness would do nothing but intensify the hate in the world. In other words, it just doesn't work. It doesn't actually change people and change systems, at least not for the long run, when we simply are manipulating people or coercing them or abusing them or making sure they feel the pain they ought to feel or they stay in their place or whatever. He says, to retaliate with hate and bitterness would do nothing but intensify the hate in the world. The way of life, someone must have sense enough and morality enough to cut off the chain of hate. And this can only be done by projecting the ethics of love into the very center of our lives. Jesus embodies a whole different way of holding power and of using power and of sharing power in our world. And it's marked by self-sacrificing, self-giving love. And I just wonder, friends, as we enter into a new political season, Lord, help us. I mean, and the primaries are coming, are they not? Friends, and, and right now, I mean, there is, there is stuff in the water today that is, is further infuriating the divide between the blue staters and the red staters and the Democrats and the Republicans. But may Christians embody among all of the different people, may we be those who embody an ethic of love and grace and kindness even to enemies, even to political enemies, to people who don't think like us or vote like us or look like us. And may we have the grace to enter in humility with humility and to, to, to learn from and, and love others. So Jesus, on Palm Sunday, he gives us a new political framework. He invites us into a new political practice. And get this, Jesus on Palm Sunday gives us he gives you and me a new political hope. Listen, if Jesus is the world's true king, and he is, and if the kingdom of God has been inaugurated into the kingdoms of darkness, and if Jesus walked out of the tomb on the third day so that love, not hate, will ultimately and finally win, so that light, not darkness, will ultimately finally win, if that is true, then our ultimate hope and our security is not in a strong economy or a strong military or the future of America. Our hope, our ultimate hope, is in the kingdom of God that Jesus Christ has established. And the gates of hell will not overcome that kingdom.
Listen, nothing divides like politics because nothing divides us like fear, right? And as you know, you can raise a lot of money peddling fear. You know, if you, if you, if you don't scare them, you can't raise much money. And if you don't engage in fear-mongering, then they won't give you the power you want. But God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and love and a sound mind. God has, 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 has made us people, we have a history. We, are, we, we followers of Jesus are a global, multi-ethnic, multi-racial, multi-national community of people that has been around for a very, very long time, much longer than America has been around. And the church will be here when America is gone just like the church came into being uh, right in the midst of the largest empire the world had known at that time, Rome, and the church lived on after Rome fell. And you know what? The church has existed in periods of persecution where the government is against them. In fact, one of the places in the world right now where Christianity is growing fastest, it's China. It's in the midst of a, of a culture that's not friendly to its spread, but that does not stop the spread of the gospel. It cannot quench the joy of God's people. You know, um, we can have confidence in God and in his kingdom because Jesus Christ has come into this world and he has laid down his life for Americans and North Koreans and Russians and the Chinese and uh, those in Sudan and those in Argentina and all over the globe, Jesus has come to be the savior of the whole world. And Jesus has come to inaugurate a kingdom that is global, that is multicultural and multinational. And he has inaugurated a kingdom that's not marked out, it's not characterized by the old politics of hate and lies and name calling. And can I hold on to power for another three or four or six or however many years that people serve a term? No, this is a kingdom that is eternal and it's marked by love and righteousness and justice. And one day, and it may be soon, the curtain will be pulled back and Jesus Christ will be revealed as the world's true king. And friends, he is the king you have been waiting for. This is the king your heart needs. This is the love that has the power to actually break in and release you of the things that enslave you and that oppress you, this self-sacrificing, self-giving love of Jesus can free you so that you can walk in a life of this same kind of love with a deep and abiding hope that nothing can take away. Amen? Amen? Amen. Let's pray. Father, we come to you and we thank you that you have not left us alone in this world, that you have not left the kingdoms of man to rule over this world with violence and in ways that are so self-serving and often manipulative and coercive. 
But in your son Jesus, you have inaugurated a new kind of rule in the midst of this old world. And we just ask, oh God, that you would form us into a community that bears faithful witness to your rule of justice and love. God, would you give us wisdom, even as as we seek to be actively engaged in the politics of our day, would you give us wisdom to not put Jesus through the, the lens of politics and through the filter of our politics, God, but may we truly be able and develop the discernment to to filter political policies and politicians and all the rest through the filter of Jesus and his kingdom. God, would you help us? Would you lead us? And more than anything, God, would you save us personally now? God, our hearts need you to save us from ourselves. We ask this in the name of your son, Jesus, who is the king over every king and the Lord over every Lord. Amen.